0: Oh, and uh, Christensen kicked out Then This is Belfort. Oh, it's in. It is in. And it's Kim Belfort.
1: Here's Shuka. Michael is back in time, or is he? Oh, oh let's go!
0: not got much help. Oh, he doesn't.
1: hello and welcome to the hopeless wonder podcast for this euros edition special with me adam gipke Craig Rogers and Andy McBride. And if you're watching live with us, thank you so much. And feel free to add your questions as we go along. And if you're listening to us, you've just missed us on this live stream. But never mind. Enjoy this pod anyway. So, yes, you did hear right. Craig is back with us from following the Tartan army. And I suppose the key question that we've got to put to him is, did he enjoy Scotland in that very short time that they were in the tournament or is he now counting down the days until he can watch his beloved Rangers? So we'll introduce Craig into the stream. Craig, how have you been keeping?
0: I've been good, mate. I've been good. Obviously very busy, which is why I've, I've not been on the pod. But great to be back. Scotland's performance, I'm sure we'll talk through in, in due course. <laughs> but yeah, looking forward to, to seeing Rangers back in August. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> definitely and yeah. no, we have been missing you especially for last week's edition but i'm sure andy will remind you about that particular game so uh let's bring him in he's the season pro of this squad so andy remains the most consistent unlike uh some of his england colleagues in that team so um andy we're going to add you into the stream if you could compare yourself to a season pro who would it be
2: oh okay um oh a season I can kind of stopped at that question too. I wasn't expecting that. Um <laughs> I'd probably say like um a Rue van Nisseroy. <laughs> van Nisseroy. <laughs> yeah, because I'm 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 always there, I'm always in the right place at the right time, <laughs> and I've got a strong beard. And that's about where the similarities end. (laughs) That's pretty much where it ends. Yeah, fair enough. So, guys, lots to cover off.
1: Um, We're not just going to be talking about the groups themselves and who's been progressing, but also the games themselves. So, without further ado, let's start off with Group A. So, as it finished off... Italy finished top of the group, uh, phenomenally doing really well, followed by Wales and Switzerland finished in third position, which was a bit of a surprise. And egg on our faces, Andy, Turkey finishing bottom of the group. So much for being dark horses. And I'm sure Craig is going to rip it out of us too for saying that. But I'm safe to say there's been a lot of people that were tipping Turkey. So um, let's start off with that Italy game. Um, So they won 1-0 against Wales professional job by a second string Italy side that irony is how Robson Carnu claims Italy had no (laughs) world-class players in. Um, The irony being that he was hardly the world-class player in that Welsh squad that did so well. Um, But a goal, nonetheless, from Pessina, enough to really do the job over Wales. And to be fair, I think Italy were very comfortable. So um, Craig, let's get your thoughts because it's been a long time. You haven't really been talking to us about much of the Euros and I wonder why that is. But let's get your thoughts on Italy. How impressed have you been with how they've gone about their job in the group stages?
0: Well, firstly, Robson Cannon wouldn't the world-class if it kicked them in the nuts, <laughs> uh, that boy, and we, we must we must tonight talk about the quality of punditry, because I've seen some absolute crackers um, so far yeah. already in the group stages, but Italy have been really impressive. Uh, they notoriously start quite slow in tournaments and mm. build up towards the knockout stages, but it's been quite the opposite. I've been really, really impressed starting off with that game in Turkey um, and then they've, they've, they've been through Switzerland and Wales and they've Really, really well. They don't look like conceding at all uh, at the back. I, I was, I, I looked at Chiellini and Bunić, and I thought that's mm. where teams might get at them. The lack of pace, but to be honest, they've looked absolutely superb. And um, all credit to them for beating a, a, a good Wales side. And, let, and let's be honest, Wales are a good side, um, very mm. organised and disciplined, and beat them relatively comfortably with, like you said, a, a second string side. And China was able to rest some, some of his stars for the, for the next round. So. All credit to Italy, and they probably, out of all the teams we've seen so far, probably look like the most informed team at the, at the tournament.
1: Mm. And what have you made up top as well? Because that was an area that I identified as an area that there might be weak as well, because Balotelli, for example, and Chirio Mobile, who needs at least four chances before he tucks in a chance at the moment, it seems. Um, they seem a bit weak at top, but to be fair... Obviously, they've had players that have contributed the goals. Locatelli, for example, being a real contribution to that Italy side. Um, do you think going into the knockout stages, that is going to be critical?
0: I thought you said Balotelli there. I might have misheard that. <laughs> he's, he's, he's definitely yeah. not there. Um, well, Ciro Mobley has he's been on fire he's, since he's come mm. back to Lazio from his time abroad. He's, he's been superb and another excellent season from him last year. So it shouldn't be a surprise that he'll get in amongst the goals um, if he's not top scorer. I think it would be there thereabouts with four or five goals, so no surprise there. Uh, Berardi from Sassuolo, I mm. think, has performed really well at this level. Um, obviously, we like Sassuolo in this pod. they almost a thinking man's Atalanta. Uh, that's the engine Italy. <laughs> we talk about them I and that's the Locatelli is. And we talk about how they play well and they give teams a good game, but we always thought that was the manager, Deserbiem. could they fit into an Italy squad? But they don't look out of place at all, these two Sassuolo players, so Locatelli and Berardi. So really, really impressed with them. And you're absolutely right. The ability to score goals against top sides um towards the back end of this tournament will be will be usually looking at, you know, England are not scoring free floor at the moment. Germany, albeit scored twice last night. Um they had to look wide on a a poor Portugal defensive performance to, to rack up the goals. So, you know, there's not a lot of sides bar Belgium, England, and Poland who we'll come on to who have mm. got a Absolutely world class number nine. So, having Immobile and Bradley and some of the other guys jump in with goals will certainly help them towards the end of the tournament. Yeah. But I would say, I would, I I would find them as one of the the favorites now. Yeah. Mm.
1: And, Annie, let's just have a word for Wales. Great achievement, regardless of that result itself. Um, And they do look like they've got a winnable game in the next round as well by the position of it. Um, But, yeah, what did you make of Wales overall? I mean, Good performance, I would say, considering the circumstances, right?
2: Yeah, I think considering they've not had an easy group at all. Um, You know, if if you looked at it before the group stage started, you'd have said that, you know, Switzerland, Turkey and Italy could potentially all Mm. beat them. Um, And, you know, they looked a little bit shaky against Switzerland in the first game, but they held on quite well defensively. I thought against Turkey, you know, I thought, could come a little bit unstopped because they're in Baku in front of a really partisan Mm. home crowd but um, I think Gareth Bale's had his best game I've seen him play you know with obviously the sky high penalty aside Um, he was absolutely brilliant I mean he created probably about three or four chances for Ramsey could have feasibly had a hat trick if his finishing was a bit better and I think against um, I think Italy they just played a team where they were just too good I think, mm. you know, you can't really say Wells are playing that badly. I think Joe Allen had a bit of a shocker. I think his age and his um, slowing legs is starting to show a little bit. <laughs> you know, he gave away a bit of a silly free kick, which led to the goal. Um, mm. You know, you do, I you, you did think it was only going to be a matter of time. And obviously there was that red card for Ampadu as well. Yeah. Um, I guess you're not used to seeing them given in England, uh, but at the same time, you can understand why it was given because ultimately he didn't really get the ball, and he's put his foot on some, he put his studs in someone's foot, uh, which dangerous play, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think they've, um, you know, against Denmark, they're going to be against a team that um, they've got a chance for. You know, Denmark are a similar kind of side where they've got you know a couple of um, top, you know, higher class individuals, uh, but a largely a team that's more. I guess more of a team than it's um, more yeah you know, for some of its parts, if anything else. So both teams are a bit like that. Mm.
1: And what did you make of Switzerland? I mean, I, I didn't see that result being pulled off where they beat Turkey three one, um, but yeah, Shakiri seems to have his scoring boots for once and uh, turned up for this game. Um, what what do you think of their chances potentially progressing through because they've not really done well in terms of knockout stages in the Euros either. <laughs>
2: I mean, obviously because they'll be playing France on uh, Monday night, um, I think that's where their journey ends. Mm. Um, you know, obviously with shakiri he's not played much football for um, for Liverpool in the past like, 18 months, two years, so it probably took him a couple of games to warm up, really. But yeah, he's, um, you, know, he, you know, if you need a bit of a moment of magic, then Switzerland have got a couple of players that, you know, might enable you to do that. Um, but yeah, I think against France, That's where their journey ends,
1: 100%. Mm. And Craig, go on. We need you to rip it out of us for the turkey stuff. But yeah, I mean, did you see that happening, them being last in the group? I would
0: love to rip out of you two. I would love to sit here on my high horse and pretend that I know better. But when I listened to the pod, the preview pod, I nodded my head. I thought, yeah, I can see turkey being dark horses. And we're not the only ones, pundits all over, up mm. and down the country, up and across Europe, we say in Turkey, particularly because of some of the, re- the results in the pre-tournament
1: yeah.
0: uh, coming into it. Um, Yilmaz has had a fantastic season. Um, Chol- is it Chalenglu from Milan had a yeah. good season. Centre half, unless is a good season, so there are good players in there, but mm. they just they just defensively looked all over the place, and I don't think anyone was predicting predicting that. And to finish bottom of the group, particularly behind, as Andy said, a Switzerland team that are not vintage. They're, they're organised, but they're not a very good team. Um, to not even you know pick up a point against Switzerland was, mm. was really poor. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm as surprised as you guys. If I was on that pod, the previous pod, I would have agreed wholeheartedly. So I find it quite difficult to sit here and take the piss because I said the same thing.
1: <laughs> well, I feel a little bit better now, so that's for sure. We we'll move into Group B. And as it finished, Belgium finished first, um, really showing their class in that respect. But Denmark is probably the surprise package in the sense of pulling off that great result against the Russians. And Finland finished third, and then we've got our famous Russian side finishing last as well. So um, let's start off with that Denmark-Russia game. And Craig, I mean, if it wasn't bad enough, he had all of the emotions. Just the quality of football that was played on that night was incredible. But was that a case of only, I suppose, enhanced by the fact that Russia was so poor on that match?
0: Yeah, I've, I've been quite impressed with Denmark, actually. After you know the obvious first game and the, the emotional energy expended there, um, they played really well against Russia, but Russia have been really poor. It's quite funny, I, I, the Russian team, I think what I'll say is they look a little less energetic than they did <laughs> in 2018. Um, I think they're on some of that Jermaine Jafaud juice that the Celtic fans have <laughs> about. I think they were on some of that the last time. So. But right, Russia Russia are a, are a real enigma for a country, for a country that size to mm. produce so few good players. And it is a football country, it's, it's quite an established yeah. league. It's a strange one. I don't know the grassroots football, beat it'd be great to get someone on who, who doesn't probably a special on its own about why Russia <laughs> don't produce. Obviously they had those great Soviet teams in the seventies and eighties, but mm. that did include the entire Eastern Bloc and the old Yugoslavia and yeah. some of these players that now play in Croatia and Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But I don't know why a country of that size and of that populace doesn't produce more players and tactically very poor, no real standard yeah. players. So, I'm not surprised that Russia went out. I'm surprised they finished yeah. last Though I thought Finland, for all my, my Glenn Kamara leanings, I thought would have probably finished bottom of that group. But mm. not surprised to see Russia bow out at the group stages now.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting that obviously they tried to talk out Akinfaev to come back into goal, but he said That's flat no. Yeah. And yeah. that says it all. I think that sums up that position. Um, Andy what's your thoughts on Denmark though I mean amazing to see those guys finish second and I think the class of those goals in some of the cases were amazing for that match
2: oh they're all all of them were brilliant weren't they it's just Mm. Class goal after uh, class goal. I think my favourite one out of that bunch was uh, Christiansen. I've I've never seen him do that for Chelsea or indeed or Gladbach or indeed at any given point in his career. Uh, It was an absolute bullet. But I think it was just the, um, I think the emotions Mm. of it all. I think it it was like a perfect storm to an extent. You know, you had the emotions of playing in front of a home crowd after what happened um, in the first game of Eriksson, you you know, combine that with a very poor Russian team. And maybe they just felt a little bit more inspired, you know, almost like maybe like an obligation or more of a desire to entertain the crowd for them, give them something because, you know, you don't normally see your centre-back trying to smash it in for 25 yards. Um, (laughs) And it's, um, you know, maybe maybe it's just a little bit of... um, Those are kind of circumstances they are brought together. But Denmark Denmark are, generally speaking, a very good team. I mean, it's like, you know, I think um, Ireland have played them numerous times over Mm. the years and largely got battered. Um, You know, again, they're kind of a bit like, um, you know, they're in like the sort of the middle tier of European teams where Mm. on their day they can, you know, bloody the noses of the so-called top teams. Um, You know, nobody's going to really want to face them. Yeah. Uh, like for you know, Denmark versus well that is a very tough game. You would back Denmark to win that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they've developed a very functional squad. I think, um, they haven't really got much up top. I mean, obviously, if yeah. Martin Brave is leading the line for you, you've got <laughs> issues, <this use>. uh, <laughs> but, um, you yeah, know, they have got some good young players as well. So I think they'll only get, I think they'll probably be quite consistent enough to qualify for future tournaments but yeah mm. i think they deserve their second place i think had they not had the circumstances that occurred yeah. against finland under normal circumstances you would back them to win that game um so as much as we give credit to finland for getting the three points that they did i mm. think um had that been under so-called Normal circumstances, I Mm. think you would have backed them up to win that. Obviously, you can understand why that result transpired the way it did.
1: Yeah. And Andy, they seem to be the favorites now to be the dark horses. I don't want to even predict that now based on my (laughs) prediction rate. Um, but do you think they've got a good chance of progressing through?
2: Yeah. I think, I think, uh, because that side of the draw is looking quite, you know, it's very open. Um, Mm. It's a very open draw because obviously, so you know, if they were to get through that, um, you could, but you know, it's, it's whoever's in the better form. I think will be the one to get it through to the quarters and the semis.
1: Mm. And quick words, Craig, for Finland. I think they've performed admirably considering uh, the circumstances. And yeah, maybe they are coming to an end. Um, but yeah, what have you made of that Finland team?
0: I think they've they've given them a good account of themselves, which is all that could really be hoped for. Um mm. their first European championships um in a in a group with you know, established national teams and they've given a good account of themselves. I thought, you know, obviously very, very biased, but Glenn Camara, I thought in particular was, was superb in, in the games that I saw him play and we spoke yeah. around before the tournament about which Rangers players might, might move on. And I think the performances, particularly against Belgium, um against mm genuine world-class opposition in, in Kevin De Bruyne. I thought he handled himself really well and didn't look out of place. Uh, before the tournament, he was being linked with Watford uh, as a potential mm-hmm. club and after those two performances, I'd be very, very surprised if um, teams with a higher stature than Watford aren't looking at him now because you're not telling me that there are 10 to 12 Premier League clubs that could not do with a Glenn Kamara um, in their squads and he would improve quite a lot of scores down there. So um, it's a bit of a a double edged sword for us. One, we're probably going to lose one of our better players. But, on the other hand, it's probably put another, you know, five to six, seven, eight million pounds in his price tag. Um, yeah. So, you know, all things considered, a good tournament for him. But, yeah, you know, finally give a good account of themselves, uh, and that's all they could really ask for. They've done their country proud, so, you know, fair play to them.
2: I mean, I would say that I I was going to say, I mean, I was, you know, I said to Craig in the the chat beforehand, Mm. I would happily give Fred and a packet of Mars bars away for Glenn Kamara.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Craig, I was going to ask you on that topic of where Glenn Kamara might end up. I do feel like. Watford's a drop-down compared to Rangers and the fact that Rangers have got that kind of European football in them as well. I mean, is it going to be the fact that... Because I heard the Finnish coach kind of insinuate that he needs to move to a Premier League club and I couldn't for the life of me understand why he would be insinuating even at that level of like a team. And granted, Watford have a bit more finances, they'll be playing a bit more regularly in the supposed top league, right? But the fact that you could play... Obviously, European football, pretty much every week. Gr- granted, a few um, knockout stages may affect that, but Rangers are a good place to kind of extend your, I suppose, career.
0: Th- this is that, it, and it's and it's the old age-old um, money talks, doesn't it? So, although mm. Watford are a far, 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 far smaller team than the Rangers or Celtic, for that matter, they can probably double or triple his wages in a heartbeat with the Premier League money. Um, you're right, Watford are a far smaller club than Rangers. And in my opinion, and I know a lot of people share this, there are only four truly global clubs in Britain, and two of them are in Glasgow. So, mm-hmm. anywhere from that, unless you're going to Manchester United Liverpool, I think is a step down in terms of the size of the club and the history of the club and trophies won and worldwide fan groups and all these different things. But, Glenn Kamara, if you're not from Glasgow or not from Scotland, if you're a guy coming, it's even more else, if you're a guy coming from a foreign yeah. country, into Rangers and Celtic, yes, you love the club, but your goal will be to go and play one of these big leagues. If you're a young boy growing up in Finland, you're, you're not telling me that Rangers is your, your goal. No. It'd be very, very rare. What they want to do is they want to go and play for Liverpool's and Chelsea and Man City, and that's absolutely fine. Mm. That's absolutely fine. No problem with that at all. And it's the age of money, money talks. So, if I was Glenn Kamara, being a neutral, I'd want to stay and play Champions League football because that's the highest form of competition in the world, I think, Champions League. Um, but... If Watford come in and say we'll quadruple your wages, you can live in London, you know, for a young for a young foreign footballer, then that's probably a, a little bit too good to be true, and he'll, I think he will move on. But I think you could easily fit into uh, an Everton, West Ham, Aston Villa, a higher tier mm, club, a club that's pushing definitely. for Europa League football. Uh, and like Andy said, I know he's a bit tongue in cheek, but you're not telling me for a minute that he's an upgrade. He's not an upgrade on Fred, <laughs> as an example. And if and if if those Premier League clubs now looking to pay. You know, 60, 70, 80 million pounds for Declan Rice. I'm not saying Grand Camara is of the same quality. I think Declan Rice has been very good. But if you can go and get a grand Camara for 15, 18 million quid, mm-hmm. you're not telling me that's not a good investment. And if he does go to Watford, I guarantee he will not be there for any more than two years because one of the Premier yeah. Club absolutely stamp him up. So, you're all fair play. I make mean, it goes with our blessing. He's, he's been phenomenal for us. And we signed him for 50,000 pounds, remember, as the famous yeah. song goes. Mm-hmm. So, a 50 grand investment to potentially, you know, get 50 to 20 million pounds back is, is a great piece of business from Rangers.
1: What have you also made of Belgium as we cap off this group? Because um, Lukaku bringing his form from Inter Milan, doing it really well. Um, there is still that question mark at the back. Um, Danea, I mean, he's a calamity at the back. But also, as me and Andy have said on previous qu- pods, it's around the legs of that centre-back or the three that they play at the back, it seems to be. Um yeah, can obviously Belgium overcome their defensive woes and progress further in these tournaments?
0: Well, I think they play Portugal in the next round, don't they? I'm just going to check my phone quickly. That that for me is a. I think Belgium and Portugal remind me of each other. That going forward, they are frighteningly good, yeah. but they are very poor at the back. And I think that will be a high-scoring game. Could Belgium go far? Of course they could. The, the yeah. world, some absolute world-class players, uh, a team with De Bruyne and. The number ten position, in Lukaku up front, are going to score goals against anyone. But like you said, at the back, and I think once they get through the, if they get through the Portugal game, um, they'll need to, they'll need to show some defensive solidity when they come up against some of the the bigger teams. Otherwise, they will get caught out. But um, I think what they've done in the group stages, they've done what's asked of them. You know, they've, they've looked quite comfortable in all of their games. Really, no real dramas got through. Um, so yeah, done what they could have been asked of. But I'm looking forward to them being properly tested by Portugal in the next round, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and Andy, get a quick word on Belgium itself. Do you think it's going to be down to Martinez and the style of tactics he plays in these knockout stages?
2: I think, well, Martinez has always been, he's always when it comes to knockouts and cup competitions, that seems to be when he's at his best, when he's really got Mm. to prepare for like a a one-off game where it's do or die. He's very black and white. He seems to do quite well uh, because that's where his best results have come, you know, both managing at club level and obviously at um, international level. Um, I I guess the only mitigation with Belgium is that they haven't really come across against any high-grade attacking talents. Um, Mm. Now, you know, if you compare Portugal and Belgium, you know, at least Portugal do have Ruben Diaz um, at the back and um, Belgium don't have anybody of that quality. Um, obviously you could argue that Vertonghen and um, Alderweireld were that quality, say three, four five years ago, but you know, that time's sort of started to catch up with it. but then again, you know, a 38-year-old Pepe still rocking up at centre-back <laughs> for uh, Portugal, so it swings aroundabouts. roundabouts but I think um, I don't know, I think it's going to be who comes out first on attack and it has mm. to be said, um you know, Ronaldo is looking quite cl- very, very clinical at the moment. Um, and obviously, I think with Portugal, they've got a few more options. You know, if you're going into a, an, a, a scenario where it might go into extra time and penalties, you know, Belgium's best 11 is their best 11 that could win a game. They haven't mm-hmm. really got a huge amount um of, you know, proper game changers to come off the bench, whereas, um, depending on what lineup you know, you've got Rafa Silva, who's come on for quite good impacts in the games that he's played for Portugal. You've got Hal Felix, who hasn't really had much game time uh, during mm. the tournament, to be honest with you. We'll uh, see Bruno Fernandes has, you know, unfortunately been a bit off it um, during the tournament so far, but, you know, at any moment he could come to life. Um, so I think Portugal have got a bit more quality whereas i think yeah i think with the car Coo and de bruyne you could say you can argue they've got the best players but portugal have just got more good players i think if that makes sense but it'll be a, mm. it'll be a close game either way
1: so what do you make of Tramback's suggestion here so he's a real madrid fan he follows the show and yeah obviously ed and we haven't seen a lot of him really um but obviously his brother's gone off injured now as well so could he come into it and make an impact for belgium
2: I think you'll be keen to, because he hasn't played much football in the past couple of years, Um, obviously as indicated there. And it's one of, I think it's been such a shame for him what's happened at Real Madrid, because I honestly thought he'd have gone to Real Madrid, scored 20, 30 goals a season, but it's just seemed to be one fitness issue after another. But in terms of pure ability, um, he is absolutely magic. Um, And I think, not having not played that much football might not actually be a bad thing because a lot of players are coming into this Euros absolutely knackered after playing 50, 60 games this season, as well as obviously the extent, you know, having to play the back end of last season as well. Um, so I think I think um, you don't, I think you write them off at your peril. Um, mm. You know, at the end of the day, if you still give giving space to cut in and take, get a shot away, he can still punish you. Mm.
1: let's move into group c so um yeah i was a bit surprised to see the netherlands finish top of this group but also surprised to see austria finish second but we'll go into that in a bit more detail uh, ukraine finished third and our favorites north macedonia finished fourth so our hero goran Pandev goes out uh scoring a few goals along the way um but unfortunately didn't get that final goal against the netherlands uh, Craig obviously it wasn't going to be their tournament unfortunately I did try and tip them to be finishing second it didn't happen um, but fair play to them they turned out they didn't actually you know try and defend all the time they tried to play attacking football and it was great to see someone different at this tournament giving it a go
2: right
0: oh absolutely absolutely I, I've been really pleased with North Macedonia actually I like Finland I think they've given them a real good account of themselves they worked really hard, I thought. Sometimes, watching them, they actually played some okay stuff. I, th- I thought mm. they didn't really get hammered. They didn't embarrass mm. themselves. And in the end, it was probably just a lack of quality uh, rather than a yeah. lack of ambition or a lack of will that, that made them finish bottom. But you know, for their first tournament as well, I, I'm, I'm really, really pleased for them. I thought they they, they give a good account of themselves. They scored a couple of goals. Um, and their fans would have had something to cheer about. And it was really nice to see Goran Pandev um, mm. And such a, an illustrious career with, with a goal at the Euros. And it was a really nice touch for the the, the Dutch to give him that shot with 122 on it for his, mm. his total number of caps and stuff. I just thought it was really a nice touch. But yeah, absolutely. You know, Trambeck's end of North Macedonia, have won our hearts. Maybe not Hungary. We might come on to that. <laughs> we'll uh, go into that, yeah. But North Macedonia, absolutely. <laughs> really, really pleased that they're qualified. Like you said, just a breath of fresh air. Um, yeah, uh, just probably a bridge too far.
1: What about the Ukrainian side then? Because it seemed like a bit of quality towards the end of it really got them to finish third as opposed to second in that group. Um, and you saw, obviously, Shevchenko seemed to be on the floor on certain games because he seemed to be at despair at how the game panned out. I remember that first game, for example, against the Netherlands where they lost yeah. 3-2, for example. Um, but yeah, I don't know what to make of this Ukrainian side. I've Obviously, being a Poland supporter, I've seen them against Poland a few times and never really expected much of Ukraine. But the likes of Malinovsky, for example, kind of turned up for a game or two, but then last game just wasn't there. Um, What do you make of this Ukrainian side? Is there more to come in the years ahead? So, i.e. is this a tournament too soon for them or is this the best that Ukraine can potentially bring out at a tournament? What's your thoughts?
0: I think you may be right. It may just be just be one one two early. They have they have got some good players coming through and they would have actually been my dark horses to maybe qualify or get to the quarters. I think Ukraine have actually got a not bad squad. And then after the first game, you know, they take they took the Netherlands, um, albeit all two two really good goals from the Ukraine, took the Netherlands to to almost a draw. And then I thought after watching that, I thought they, they'll be final finish second quite comfortably. Um and mm. it just didn't quite work out like that. Some quality issues as well and some some poor defending, but uh, I believe they've got Sweden in the next round. I would, I would imagine that that's where their journey will end, and I, I think Sweden will come to beat them.
1: So, Andy, let's bring in Austria, a side that I didn't expect to do much. Um, Trambach obviously had this question beforehand, which was, do we think they'll be able to pull off a shock against Italy? Um, David Aliber seems to be in a more creative role. Arnatovic, I think, is the most hated player at the moment on, at this tournament. I don't see it personally against, in terms of pulling off a shock against Italy. Um, but Austria have done well to get this far, right? So what's your thoughts on Austria?
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember watching the, um, the, the friendly against England, and they they looked very very average. Um, I mean, apart from the two central midfielders, just sort of kicking people. Uh, <laughs> they didn't they didn't, didn't seem to offer much. Obviously, Sch- Schlegler and Ly- Limo, you know, they're good good energy, good solid midfielders, but they were you know they aren't certainly at an elite level. Um, obviously, mm. with David Alaba, it's um, kind of like a jack-of-all-trades for Austria. You know, if you need him at left-back, he'll play there. If you need him at centre-back, he'll play there. He'll play centre-midfield. And a bit like um, Alexander Sinchenko does for the Ukraine, sometimes it's just a case that you've got a really good technical player. So, Mm. um, because they don't really have an abundance of him, you just literally play him a bit further up the pitch. Um, I remember there was a lot of talk as well before the tournament um, had started that... um, the, the Austrian manager been picking players that you know that weren't perhaps in the best of form and things like that um so there were there was an optimistic move from the Austrian perspective but yeah I think um, David Albertbert is in good form but they I I, I think Italy will win comfortably. Um, so, I'm sorry to say there won't be a shock on the, on the cards there. Uh, and just touching on Trambach's comment about Adioski. Um, yeah, he's, he's quite um, he's, he's a good player to watch, good attacking fullback. Mm. It's what you need in the League. I remember there was this one part in the game where he just literally, it was against Holland, he just twatted a, for one of the technical terms, <laughs> across first time yeah. on the volley. And it was literally a perfect ball across the box, like really, really good technique. Uh just for like you know, like a moment, that was like a proper class moment. Um but yeah, I think I don't see it I don't see Italy failing to be Austrian anyway.
1: And are you surprised, Andy, that we haven't heard more from Marcel Sabitzer? I mean, he came off a good season at Leipzig.
2: Yeah, I think um I mean Austria are a very functional side. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think that's sometimes the mitigating factor is that you look at these players like Sabitzer playing for his club side, but Nagasman had them had them playing a very open and expansive style. Mm. Um, you know, where they can interchange with the likes of Fosberg and you know. It's, but when you're playing for a relatively modest international team, you know if your manager tells you to be a bit more conservative, recycle the ball, um, recycle the ball a bit better, then that's what you're going to do. You aren't necessarily going to see the same player that you're used to seeing on the club level week in week out. Mm. So, Andy, what about your thoughts
1: on your favourite manager, De Boer? Crank the ball in particular. So the Netherlands finished top of their group. Um, bit of a surprise in that sense. I didn't think they would do as well as they have, um, but it puts them in prime position now going into the knockout stages so um, do you think they're a team that are deceptive because of the quality that it, they have in that squad
2: yeah I think uh, what you find is if there's quite a few you know it's not you look at it it's not a vintage Holland squad but you, they've still got some really bloody mm. good players you know Matthias De Ligt you know regular starter for Juventus you know D- uh, Daly Um he's one of the best you know he's a bit of a midget but he's one of the best ball playing centre backs <laughs> um, around Round. You know, Frankie de Jong has looked absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's had a. I think he's a, Frankie de Jong is one of those plays he's benefited from the Euros being put back a year. Because uh, obviously, he'd had a bit of a difficult first season at Barcelona. Um, obviously, this season round, he's been much, much better. Um, it's good. I think there's been a couple of surprises as well. So, uh, you know, Denzel Dumfries, this looks mm-hmm. electric for them. Like, if there's anybody, you know, if there's any. How uh, a good Euros will get a big move kind of player? He's going to be it because there's going to be teams looking at him going, bloody hell, we've got, you know, who who's not going to want a rampaging right back <laughs> in their <laughs> squad, especially when it comes to like the Premier League and stuff. Um, you know, I guess there is a mitigating factor as they're yet to be tested against what you call a elite team. You know, same as probably perhaps Italy. Um But I think in terms of a link-up they've got with uh, Donyell Mallon, who, funnily enough, was rejected from Arsenal at like 17, 18 years old. Um, And the link-up with Depay, apparently they're quite close off the pitch. And the link-up on it is really, really good. Um, I think it's good to see Depay sort of really showing himself as like a leader of that squad. So I never had him down as much of a um, leader-type player. But I think for Holland, he's... um, it's done well.
1: And Craig, get your quick thoughts on the Netherlands. Um, are you surprised they progressed?
2: Not surprised
0: they progressed. Um, I'm not really surprised to topped the group, really, but Andy's absolutely right. Context is, is very, very important. And uh, If they did not qualify, it would have been an absolute scandal. They've not played anyone of any real quality. Mm. We talk about Italy, but at least Switzerland and Austria are very tactically dis- um, disciplined yeah. Were really stuffy. I can't really say that for any of the three teams in the, the Netherlands group. So I think done what was expected, got through, but I think they're on the most favourable side of the draw. Um but if they come up against um you know our England or anyone like that, I think they'll be I think they'll go out.
1: Okay, well, we'll move into Group D. And so, Andy, you get to rub your hands a bit more. But, yeah, let's uh, recollect the moments of last Friday. So it ended nil-nil between England and Scotland. And, uh, Craig, obviously, you were your mates up north in Scotland itself. um, What was the feelings back up north and what were they thinking of the Scotland squad? Because it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on how they've been kind of perceived up north as well.
0: Oh, how long have you got? So, when the, when the Scotland squad was announced, I think we were all quite happy. Now, that's in my opinion, this is probably the best Scotland squad in 25 years. Mm. I, I genuinely do believe that. Maybe 25 years. Uh, I don't think we've had ball pl- three ball-playing central midfielders like we do now since Ferguson, really, and Scott Brown were in there. And I thought that we had some real quality and we could have Really done something. I genuinely thought we might have, especially after seeing the England Croatia game on the Sunday, the yeah. first game. When I saw that, that's when I thought if we if we perform here, we could go through. Because I didn't really rate mm. Croatia, and I still I still don't actually to tell you the truth. The game on Friday night was was the highlight. And speaking to the guys up there, we we all had a drink and watched the game. And before that, we were all thinking this could be this could be a bit of a drum in here after the Czech game. And the Scotland played really, really well. Scotland defended really well, and I think was the last twenty minutes. If it was one side going to nick a winner, I'd have probably backed Scotland. Actually, in yeah. all honesty, the problem with Scotland was is the manager now. Steve Clark is is the command manager, and that and that's the problem with Scotland now is we've got Andy Robertson on the left hand side, and we play five at the back with two wing backs. Now, in a system where your only width comes from your wing backs. Have to be able to provide a threat going forward. And on the left hand side, we have that with Andy Robertson, world class left back, mm. one of the top five or six in the world, I would, I would say. But on the right hand side, he started a guy called Stephen O'Donnell. Now, Stephen O'Donnell um, is a mother of right back, um, can't put a cross in, can't go forward, and he had an okay game against England. And if you ask him to play as part of a flat-back form, Simon Donald will defend reasonably well. But what he doesn't offer at all is a threat going forward. Now, against the Czech Republic, they recognise this very, very quickly. Double-double Andy Robertson. And we just went long to Lyndon Dykes all afternoon. And it was just so, so mm-hmm. frustrating to see that. And now, I'm obviously biased. But we've got a young guy called Nathan Patterson on the bench. who's come through the Rangers this season. Now, Nathan Patterson um, played 16 times this season when James Tavernier was injured. Uh, he's played in a couple of fun games. He's played in the Europa League. He's got not a lot of games, but he's played well in big games. So in the first game of the tournament against the team that you have to win if you want to go through, we started off with not our best, our best team. We didn't start Shea Adams, who is our best striker. And it was all just very, very conservative and far, far too careful. And then after you don't win against the Czech Republic, it's a massive uphill struggle. We changed it up against England. We went two up top. I don't know why you then go two up top against the best team in the group when you went one up top <laughs> against the worst team in the group. So very, very confusing. Billy Gilmer started. I thought he was fantastic. He probably should have started the first mm-hmm. game. Uh, and then against Croatia, again, Stephen O'Donnell starts it right back. There's no threat down there. And we just looked very turgid, very sterile, um, and just not capable of really scoring goals. Uh I think it's our worst record in any sort of international tournament. So all of that good feeling of qualifying and getting there, it's been replaced by a sense of sort of what could have been. Mm. And for Scotland to to genuinely step on, we have to get rid of this mentality of, we're just happy to be there. That's for North Macedonia. That's for, with all due respect, Finland and all these guys. We've got a far, far better squad than that. And until we honestly get a manager who can use some of the players that we've got, because Steve Clark has never, ever, ever managed players of the quality that he's got now. He doesn't know how to attack as a team. He's a command manager. That's all he's ever done. commander were a very poor side. He got them to Europe League football by just shithousing his way through a league and just drawing games. So if we, until we can get a manager who can genuinely use these players and start playing them to their strengths, we won't go any further. And we have to get rid of this glorious failure. Oh, well, we tried and we gave England a good game don't care, not fucking interested. Just get, we need to give rid of that mentality, otherwise we'll be the same old Scotland, and this is a far, far too good of a generation of players to just let that go slip by and, and wait another eight years until we qualify again. So I think he won't be sacked, he won't, he won't, There's mm. the, will still high feeling of, or will we qualified for a tournament. So what? He'll probably get another contract and, and we'll be talking about this in four years' time, but if Scotland could go and get a manager who knows how to get the best out of players, I mean, Scott McTominay playing at center half, We've got okay centre-halves. We've got guys who are okay. Scott McTominay needs to be mm. in the middle of that midfield with a Gilmore and McGinn. That's, that's, that's got to be the midfield three. So they play Scott McTominay at centre-half and then play Callum McGregor. Oh, we thought we'd go last um, the other night. Callum McGregor at the half has had a fucking awful season at Celtic. I think kicked his own ass all year. And he's starting against um, teams in the Euros. So getting a manager who can use these players, play the best players in their best positions, Wales do that, and we could only dream mm. of doing what Wales have done this year. Get a good manager, in, and I think we can genuinely be proud of what the Scottish team could do at a major finals. But until then, we won't get further.
2: Assuming, well, I mean, bad just, bad, bad just bad. a question. Just a question I have with the manager side of it. Assuming Scotland kept with the Scottish manager, who out there would be who's Scottish would be an improvement on Steve Clark, and who could who could bring more out of those players? In an attacking sense, because there doesn't seem to be a huge amount out there. The only alternative is to go foreign, which hasn't really worked too well in the past. You know, hashtag Bertie votes. <laughs>
0: That's that No, there's, there's not. You're right. There's not an abundance of of quality Scottish managers out there. We've been through Gordon Strachan. We've been through Walter Smith. We've been through Alex McLeish twice. We've now got Steve Clark because he was the only real candidate for the job, and Steve Clark got that job. After Camarnock finishing third in the SPL when they qualified for the European qualifiers. But Kamarnock were fucking awful to watch, super defensive. And what we've now got is the command manager managing the national side. And we've almost become Steve Clark's Kamarnock, where we are rubbish against all the deadly teams. We play England like his team used to play Rangers. Well, upper game, big brave, good draw, and then Next week they'll go out and they'll get beat off of some on and we just got be off of all the of Croatia. But we'll, we'll probably have to go forward. And we've been really stunned by the birth of Oaks and That was probably the darkest of the dark mm. days following them there. Um The only other option I can really think of is Alex Neal, who, who's who's got championship managing experience. He's an okay manager, but again, is he really the man? It, it would be it would be a, a, an ask to go and find a manager who could get the best out of these players, but we probably, from in my opinion, have to look abroad because there's not really any Scottish managers in the game at the moment that jump out at me, to be honest.
1: I'm just going to put it out there. I know you're going to laugh, but Jack Ross?
0: It's not the worst idea I've heard all week. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the worst idea I've heard all week. Tottenham he's, he's,
1: haven't approached him, so you've got a chance.
0: But it won't be long. If, if Spurs haven't approached him, they probably will soon. But Jack, Jack <laughs> Ross is not a bad guy. Um, he's been loosely, he was loosely with the Celtic job, but... I would have mm. Jack Ross over Steve Clark tomorrow. I don't
2: think he's a bad manager. I think he got a bit of a rough deal at Sunderland because yeah. they're an absolute shit show of a club yeah. with unrealistic yeah. expectations. But I don't think he did a bad job, per se, there, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. it's, it's like, he- yeah, he's
0: team, not. I've seen good. I've seen him quite good. Yeah. They're, they're good they-, they play football,
2: yeah. football. And he plays youth. That... He, play, he
0: plays young players.
2: And that's mm. the thing. It's like, I think maybe that's an asset. Like, I don't think you necessarily, especially in international football, you don't get too many world-renowned names in the international game like if you think about the euros at the moment how many really really elite managers are managing in this tournament at the moment there's not many um so i think um you know maybe that's a bit of a gamble you take. Somebody's got a bit more of an eye on what's going on at the Scottish youth level because it doesn't seem to be too much of a, a bit like England had for years, so there's not mm. really too much of a link between what's going on under 21 level and a clear pathway to the senior team. Because ideally, you want a group of players who used to play with each other. Um, I think the only thing I have noticed about Scotland in recent years that Steve Glark perhaps has improved on is At least the players want to play for Scotland, which didn't seem to be the case a few years ago. Because I remember when squads used to come out, you'd see about 10 to 15 players dropping out because of reasons. Um, And that (laughs) seems to happen a bit less. So I think when you've got a generation of players that do want to play for their country and are playing at a good level, then there is something to work with where perhaps five or 10 years ago, there wasn't very much.
1: Yeah. Mm. And on the theme of Stephen O'Donnell, I don't know if you guys saw it, but John McGinn uh, revealed tips for dealing with Jack Grealish. So apparently uh, Stephen O'Donnell commented on how um, Jack Grealish's calves were nice to look at. So um, if there's anything he's good at, it's compliments by the look of it. Um, Andy, how are you feeling about that Scotland-England match? Because I know there was a few tweets that are coming out from you about how bad England were for that
2: match. Yeah, I think in an attacking sense, um, England were awful Um, and we Mm. still haven't really got it um, from the attacking side of it. And again, I think, um, you know, England fans have been crying out because you've got such an abundance of attacking players. You know, you look at the season that Jadon Sancho has had for Dortmund, he finished the season really strongly. You've got Phil Foden, you've got Jack Grealish, you know, you've got... um, was he Calvin Lewis had a good season for Everton? And it just seems to be very much a defence first approach, mm. which i um, trying to think about. I guess thinking about it in hindsight, you know, a good week later. Um, maybe, you know, maybe that is an approach that will work. It's just unfortunately the, the margins are very, very slim if yeah. you choose to go with a defense first approach. You know, it reminds me a little bit of watching um Jose Mourinho football. Mm. If England continue to win games, you'll put up with a shit football. Because ultimately, yeah. you're winning games, you're getting through to the next match. You know, if England have one one shot on target in the next game and get through against Germany, we'll absolutely fucking take it. Um, mm. But it is a concern because you've got, you know, Harry Kane. No one, you know, a lot of people having to go at Harry Kane going, he's not scoring, he's not doing this, he's not doing that. Nobody's creating chances for him. Like you can, ha- you can literally have Lionel Messi up front for you, and but if you're not giving him the ball in the right areas, he ain't going to do nothing. Um, and I, I, there is this suspicion that I don't think Southgate knows his best 11, and he's had mm. long enough to work it out. You know, the first game, he you, you know, he doesn't know, he's got about 10 million fullbacks, he so doesn't know which two to use from game yeah. to game. Um, you know, in midfield, um, he doesn't he doesn't seem to be brave enough to use the attacking players that he's got. I mean, I know a lot of people in Germany are surprised that a lot of German pundits are surprised that Jay Sancho has played approximately five minutes at the end of the mm. game against the Czech Republic when he's been in the form that he has. There has been the argument he hasn't done it for England, which is fair enough. But um, I think that was the frustrating thing about Scotland. We could use five substitutions and yeah. he didn't use them. Like there didn't seem to be any desire to go win the game um mm. and that was a bit that was frustrated from my point of view it's just kind of, it's like you know it's scotland like they're your rivals like go out on there and win um yeah. you know scotland is a game where you can go a point is all right um it's a game that you go right we go out there and win this because if you think about it, if you're a scotland fan right you know and i, I have scottish relatives um you know, you got the the usual suspects in the media, like the red tops, going like easy, easy, easy. We'll batter mm. Scotland. We'll batter them five or six nil. They're absolutely shite. You know, the, the the Scotland players and the fans will see, will read, and hear that kind of stuff, and all the various dismissive comments that come beforehand. Probably some of them for me, to be fair. I are... will <laughs> 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 yeah, hold my hands up to that one. So that you know, they're up. They're up for it. And it really, really showed in the game. Um, you know, there were proper snapping into the challenges. You know, Gilmore uh, looks abs- yeah, absolutely brilliant considering his young age. Like, you know, mm. it's little wonder, you know, he quite he didn't get too many games for Chelsea last season. But when you see what he's competing against for midfield positions, the fact he's getting any games at all is a miracle. Um, I thought England looked a lot better when Grealish um, did come on. Yeah, because he has that quality in international football, where and something that England struggled with over the years is keeping hold of the ball, and he is one mm. that can do that for you. He could break it up the pitch and do that. So yeah, I think it was disappointing nil-nil draw, uh, considering all the hype and all the endless Gaza clips over the <laughs> years. Um, I think it was quite a drab nil-nil, which um, you know ultimately it didn't really matter too much in the grand scheme of things mm. um so yeah i guess that was that um you know Just the, the that, game... by the way
0: do, do the bbc realize that england didn't win 96 <laughs> <Or the laughs> I, I,
2: I think we've all convinced ourselves in a dystopian reality we, we did when <laughs> you're in 1996 <laughs> That's true, yeah. it was like, did football indeed he, actually come home um, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> So, yeah, maybe we just sat in, like, a Hunger Games film or something. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, you know, ultimately, um, we didn't come home. You know, I fought against the the Czech Republic. We looked a little bit better. Um again, I think it was almost a sense of frustration is that, you know, he started Greenish, uh, partly because um, the circumstances were taken out of his hands with Chilwell um, and uh, Foden having to isolate. Um, I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of that because even I'm confused as mm. to what should have happened and what did happen. I'm still none the wiser, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, we just have to go <laughs> for whatever reason, those two players are out. That's that. Yeah, uh, but I thought again, Grealish um, did really, really well. You know, in the first half, you know, got the ball, then got the assist in. I thought Saka starting at Saka yeah. um, right mid. That was a brave call um, mm. because when the lineup came out, I think we all went on the group like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think um, I will. You know, I guess given my obvious bias, I will give um, a bit of Harry Maguire. Um, Hype as well because you know, considering how much he's been slated over the past 18 months, it's taken till he's got his first proper serious injury for both Manchester United fans and England fans to appreciate Mm. how good he is. Because there was a moment where, for example, he bought the ball out of defence, hit it really nice one to Kane, creating an opportunity, and there's nobody in the England defence that can do what Harry Maguire does. I mean, if I, you know, if you're a FIFA player, you know, or Harry Maguire lacks pace and yeah, you're right. He is vulnerable against that, but we've got enough players in the scheme, in the team to compensate against that. But Mm. as a ball playing centre back, Uh, There isn't a better defender than Harry Maguire. Like I said, he's Manchester United's best centre-back. He's England's best centre-back. He's probably, you know, the third or fourth best centre-back in the English Premier League, you know, behind perhaps Diaz and a fit Van Dijk. Um, But because he costs £80 million and he's got a fat head, um, he doesn't doesn't quite get the love. Um, But I think, you know, now we're seeing um, what he brings to an England team. And I'm more comfortable with having him in the England team against Germany than it would be with against Tyrone Minx.
1: Mm. So Andy, obviously England play Germany in the next round. Do you feel that Southgate will probably play a very logical style of play? He's gonna play out for a one-nil win potentially and just make sure it's defensively sound but Do you think he's got better players this time around compared to what he had at the World Cup where he kind of progressed with that team?
2: Yeah, I think it is a better squad than we had in the 2018 edition, uh, 100%. You know, back in 2018, we didn't have the likes of um, you know, Phil Foden, we didn't have the likes of you know, Jaden Sancho, um, uh, we didn't have Calvin Phillips, you know, um, Dexter Rice in the squad, um, you know, there was a you know, the t- two thousand eighteen was actually the end of a road for quite a few England players. Mm. Um, so you know, we didn't have you know Calvin uh, Calvin Phillips um, there as well. Oh, sorry, Calvin Lewin. Sorry, I was getting the names mixed up. Um, yeah, you know, we've got a better squad, um, and I think one thing that we do look better is that we look, you know, tournament. Jordan Pickford is a lot better than the one that turns out for Everton. <laughs> 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 and as long, you know, for whatever reason, at international level, he's like, um, you know, he's like sort of like, it's like Miroslav Klose or Podolski for Germany mm, over the years. There's yeah. some players that always seem to perform better at international level they do for their club. And Jordan mm. Pickford is one of those kind of players. Um, I think Germany are beatable. I'm not saying we will beat them, but... Yeah. I don't see why we can't compete on an even level. Uh, we've yeah. certainly got the players capable to do it. Obviously, I've seen the comment there. I- am I serious <laughs> about England beating Germany? Um, yes, I am. I think it is, <laughs> it is absolutely dope because the Germany team is not a vintage team. Um, you know, defensively at centre back, I think I don't, you know they're a little bit shaky. They conceded mm. two goals to Hungary. Um, you know, are not the greatest team in the world. So, You know, they had to bring Matt Hummels out of retirement, uh, international retirement, to come back. And um, you know, Nicholas and Sula score is a fantastic shin volley. Yeah, exactly. You know, Nicholas <laughs> Sula is basically a German Phil Jones. Um, <laughs> so it's you know, they they have got weaknesses. Um, mm. You know, I think up top they haven't really got anybody. In the in the best of form, like if you look at on paper, I think England's players are just as good as Germany's. If you look man for man, I think
0: better. I think that better. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think you know if you look man for man, I think the only mitigating factor is perhaps uh, Joachim Lowe is a slightly better manager than Gareth Southgate. I think maybe that'll be the deciding factor. But in terms of man for man, um, mm. England are just as good, if not better. So I think it is very. It's realistic. I, just wonder, um, not...
0: I wonder about sort of international tournament experience and i wonder whether you know we'd be we slag off matt sumo's but matt sumo's Noya, um muller thomas thomas muller they've just been there before joshua mm. kimmich um, for all Gross, his fall. Yeah. Ha, um you know champions league winners i just wonder if if it was just man for man football manager i think england <laughs> yeah. win this game i think england win this game because i think you're right Andy. i think man for man other than the goalkeeper in one or two other positions, I think England have genuinely got a better side. And I don't I haven't been overly impressed with Germany's defence up until now. Um, but I just wonder whether that mentality of players that have been there and won one World Cups and won a lot of Champions Leagues. I wonder if that'll maybe play into it. I <laughs> I don't think so. I think this this is an interesting game because if the two big games in the, the last 16 are obviously France and sorry, Portugal and Belgium. Which I think will be free flowing lots and lots of goals. I think this will be the opposite. I think this will be really, really cagey. And I reckon this game's going to go to penalties. And obviously, it's just that after that, it's just whoever wins. Mm, luxury, I, reckon this is going, I think this is going to be nil nil all the way to the end. And then we'll have a nervous penalty shootout on Tuesday afternoon. But um, I disagree with you. I'm like, I don't think England will get mold at all. I think this will be really, really close. And um, mm. yeah, I think I think, I think think man for man, I think England will probably got be a better squad
1: so craig let's get your thoughts on the czech republic i think or i feel personally they fizzled out as the games have gone on because certainly from that scotland game they drew against croatia and then against England, they didn't seem that really penetrative in terms of their attacks i mean they had one or two chances sue should have done better from one of them for sure um but yeah i mean this czech side is probably a generation just waiting to maybe progress a little bit more in the third like future tournament, should I say? Um, what what's your thoughts on this Czech side? Do you think they will actually stand a chance of progressing to the last sixteen?
0: No, I wouldn't. I thought so. I thought I, I think they've been quite average to be honest, mate. Even mm. even the first Scotland game where they won two 0 Scotland created an awful lot of chances, and if have had a more clinical striker, if Shadams had played from the start, Lindelöf missed three or four good opportunities, and I, yeah. I was not too impressed. They scored two goals. They scored a wonderful header. I mean, the, the first, if you're going to talk about the second goal from the halfway line, but that Patrick mm. header is an absolute bullet. That's a phenomenal header. Um, and then obviously, you know, Dave Marshall thought he was Lothar Mateus playing super. <laughs> <sweeper>. The second <laughs> and he gets lobbed. He gets lobbed for about 45 yards, which is... Some of the memes are, are, are really, really funny. So even even <laughs> though we got beat off of the Czech Republic, which also makes it so frustrating, we got beat to off off the Czech Republic, and I didn't think they were a good team at all. Mm. Um, I watched them play play England, and I think they were very good either. Um, yeah. So I, I think they've qualified purely due to Scotland's shortfalls, if I'm honest, really. Um, and I can't see them going any further, now. But yeah, not, not overly impressed with the Czech Republic, to be honest.
1: And just a quick word on Croatia as well. So obviously... Amazing goal by Modric, um, bringing back the years yeah. again with that phenomenal touch. Um, but yeah, something that we've shared on the pod is the fact that we feel this is probably the last of that generation that we're seeing from Croatia and they're waiting for that rebuild now. Um, yeah, is this literally the last chance that Croatia may have at maybe winning something this tournament?
0: Yeah, it's definitely the end of the cycle, isn't it? So you've obviously got you've got Kovacic, to you... We'll Probably play maybe one more. This is obviously Modric's last. If I imagine Perisic mm. is in his last one as well. Um, and it's probably the end of that cycle. They had the first great cycle was in '96 '98. That team went through a lull. They've had this generation come through, obviously, got to the final in the world cup, which was a, a massive overachievement. And I think this is probably the end of the cycle. But I don't think they'll go they'll go all the way this year, if I'm honest. Um, again, not being massively impressed with them, they, they beat us on, on Tuesday night. Just through Luka Modric being the only genuine world class player in the park, and it showed. Albeit the goal is will catch the headlines, but he dictated the pace. He was back to watching the Modric of old. He really, really bossed that game, and I'd love to be in Hamden on Tuesday night, just watching that in front, of, in front of my eyes. I've never seen him play live, but he was he was superb. But I just I don't think that's enough um, to take them much much further in the tournament. But certainly at the end of, of the end of that cycle. Definitely.
1: So we'll move into my favourite group, which is Group E. And, um, yeah, I have to say going into yesterday's results, um, yeah, we managed to get a fantastic draw against Spain. Um, so this is obviously Poland, but just for those that are listening to us. So group, E finished in this order. So Sweden first, Spain second, Slovakia third, and Poland fourth, um, Sweden, I think have surprised a lot of people, Craig, and, um. Obviously, Alexander Isak has been one of those players that we've been waiting to see what he could do at this tournament. Um, I'm still one of those that would say he's definitely got quality, um, but is he hindered by the way Sweden are playing at the moment?
0: Yeah, they're very, very functional. And although Isak's done an awful lot of good work off the ball and contributing, he hasn't scored yet, which is not a massive surprise. Um, I'm, I've been, I've been quite impressed with Sweden actually. I, th- I thought. Mm. I thought Spain would probably top the group with maybe Poland in second. And Spain might have gone yeah. through it as, as third. But, you know, Sweden have been, have been really, really solid. I th- he is going to get picked up by a Premier League club, I would have thought. I think he's destined for the Premier League. And we spoke a lot through the summer um, about you know clubs like you know West Ham's and Brighton's and all these other clubs that need need a striker. If you're going to go out and spend 25, 30 million quid, then, then he could be your man and he could be a guy that, Perform as well for the next, you know, 10 years. Uh, I really do rate him as an excellent player, a reasonably good season with Sociedad. Uh, he's only going to go mm. from strength to strength. So pleased with Isaac, I'm pleased with Sweden. I thought they've done really, really well. Um, but I suppose I'll I'll turn it back on to you, but Poland, I mean, what's your assessment of of Poland? Obviously, Paulo Sousa's there. Does he stay yeah. on? It's probably well, I would be amazed if Lewandowski plays another tournament. You might get the World Cup next year um, yeah. But what have you? What do you see from Poland in the next World Cup and Euro cycle? Is there a young crop ready to come through? Is this a bit of a lull period for Poland? Um, so where do the Polish national team go from here?
1: Yeah, so obviously there is a disappointment that we didn't do well at this tournament. I think obviously when you look at Slovakia conceding five against Spain, you're wondering, boy, is that an opportunity missed in the f- sense that that first game really set the tone for us? Um There's an interesting stat about Sosa's record with Poland, and it doesn't paint him in the right fashion, I suppose, because one of the things I will take out of this tournament is the style of football that we've been playing. And I know that's not to everyone's kind of liking, but when it comes to the style of football that we've been used to, it's been very logical, very methodical. But when we came up against bigger sides like Spain, I never had that confidence that we'd turn up or create chances for Lewandowski. Whereas against Spain, we actually did. We did do that. And yeah. granted, it took a goal before we actually kicked into gear and started to play some football. But in that second half, there's a few chances that you're thinking, boy, if we just had a bit more luck here and there, we could have maybe snatched a win there. Because Svoderski, for example, was slamming the post in that first half, if that goes in, then the second half is a completely different match altogether. Um, but turning it back to Poland, obviously, what I would say is, and this is something i said in preview show Sosa's only had four months of work with that team um so he hasn't had many friendlies his record as it stands is played a only 1-1 game um scored 14 goals conceded 14 goals so you can see where the problems lie it's definitely defensively um when you see that slovakia match obviously it's just the fact that everyone bombs forward no one's at the back and that lets in Slovakia. And it was too easy for that slovakian goal to go in uh, for the first one anyway personally poland going forwards do you know what i come out of this tournament most of the time i'm used to this feeling of poland get knocked out quite easily um but i'm, I'm coming out of this with a bit more confidence because if we stick with so so you can see he's got an approach he's got a style Obviously, a lot of people have been commenting about the fact that he's used free centre-backs and then it interchanges when they go into attacking mode as well. Um, So they kind of go into this free and then you've got a five in midfield potentially that kind of back up onto Lewandowski. But you're right in saying, obviously, it is down to Lewandowski to score the goals. I think the other thing is to say is had Lewandowski had Piontek or Milik next to him, What could have been? I mean, obviously it's hindsight, right? But those quality players, could we have done better in the games like Slovakia? Could we have done better in Spain? Could we have done better against Sweden as well? I mean, it was gutting to kind of go almost two goals behind before we started performing. Lewandowski scores that amazing goal, then scores the equaliser. And then obviously everyone's bombed forward and then we can see that third goal. Um, but I'm actually in a positive frame of mood. I mean, Josviak learned a lot from that tournament. You know, our nippy little winger from Derby County, Moda could have and should have probably played a bit more in that central midfield. I don't like Man Bun as I refer to him, Krahoviak. Um, Wojciech Szesny, boy, that man needs shooting yeah. out of that <laughs> squad.
2: Like, you could um, talk about Wojciech Chesny for ages like enjoy yeah
1: it. I'm, I'm almost getting to that point where I'm getting a bit bored of it but this is the thing even um after the Spain match he was um was well, spotted having a fag um and it was brought up yeah, in a press conference right. against really? uh, yeah before the game against Sweden um so actually defended him saying he does that in his own time he shouldn't be photographed with him having a cigarette and I suppose And he kind of said, look, back in my day, loads of players did it. But that's not obviously the modern way these days. And I'm just gutted that he didn't go with Fabianski in the first match. I don't understand why Fabianski doesn't start. But there is that question of how does he kind of get that next generation coming through. We got that 16-year-old or 17-year-old, sorry, um, that turned up against um, Spain. I've forgotten his name now off the top of my head. But... Yeah, uh, there's lots of hope going forward. I think this is thing. But this is the other thing is, it looks at a lot of comments from Polish fans. There seems to be a right mix where after that Spain match, they absolutely praised Sosa. At the Sweden match, they absolutely slated him for the approach, the style, the fact that we went two goals behind before we started playing football. And yeah, that is probably down to the fact that we are just too attacking minded, but he needs to find a blend. Obviously, he will get that when he gets time. He, obviously, yeah. he's been brought into a team that's been during a COVID situation, not being able to mingle in with players, get an understanding of them. He's only just started with this tournament, and maybe it's a tournament too soon for Sosa. But going forward, like if we do progress to the World Cup, then obviously, I think Poland could be a better side. Um, like I say, players like Chesney. as long as they are gone out of that team by that tournament, then I'll be a bit more happier and a bit more like optimistic. Um, but yeah, Lewandowski will be on his last tournament. I have to share that. I think that's where it's going to go. Um, but yeah, Andy, let me bring you into Spain then. So they did manage to progress through. Uh, Morata still missed the penalty. <laughs> I did share that meme about uh, Morata and uh, vaccines. Um, yeah. Obviously, um, this Spanish squad, it's not really winning many fans over. And um, yeah, I mean, if you put them against England, I don't know. I'd probably say England edged them right now because there's not that much quality in that Spanish team.
2: There isn't, no. Um, I think Spain are fortunate that they've got the group that They did Um, Mm. because, you know, even with mitigating Avaro Morata factors, of him being absolutely shy, um, <laughs> they yeah they you know I said before they haven't got a vintage squad like you know in defence they haven't you know apart from the port they haven't really got you know obviously Pal Torres he's had a good season for the Real but mm. they're certainly not PK. And uh, Ramos' standards of fullback, you know, you've got Jordi Elba holding it all together at his age, where he perhaps really shouldn't have been. You would have thought Spain should have found a replacement uh, by now. And yeah, it's um, like technically speaking, uh, obviously, Spain are really good at keeping possession. Like they're still playing the football of about 10 years, like Barcelona 2010, where they're just hogging the mm-hmm. ball, but they aren't particularly incisive. Um, I think they're, you know, I think statistically they've boosted themselves by beating, obviously, vacchio You know the five nil that we did, um, but it, that doesn't really mask a few of the problems that they've got. You know they haven't got a, you know it's not a vintage squad, and uh, you know again mm. it's probably not outrageous to suggest if. Um, England came up against them, uh, you'd back them to get like a half decent result, which let's be honest, at any given point over the past 20 years, you wouldn't have said that. Um, and I think the Spain Croatia game will actually be quite close, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, um, but they've got huge problems up top. I mean, I said beforehand, they don't have a proper clinical number nine. Um, I mean, you know. To go from the likes of uh, Raul, Villa, uh, Torres to Murata, Um, it's a bit of a downgrade. I mean, even the fact that Adama Triore is in that squad after yeah. scoring approximately <laughs> yeah. one goal. Obviously, he's got his you know very well-known physical assets. And I guess what he could bring to the table is vastly different to what you get from the other Spain players. I think that's the only... Thing I could think of as to why he's in that squad, um, but he's you know basically just a Dan James with bigger muscles. Um, like he's not that good. <laughs> but just i to one say thing we, on. sorry,
0: just one thing before we leave Spain. Um, mm. I was watching Spain versus Poland on Saturday night and talking mm. about punditry and the quality of the punditry. <laughs> we were ble- we were blessed with Danny Murphy. On co and and Daniel yeah. Murphy came up with two things that, that made me laugh. The first one was, he said, "What Spain are lacking is a player like Mason Mount." He says, "Well, the problem <laughs> with Spain is that they've got about twelve guys like Mason Mount, but no one to score." Which is the second <laughs> thing, thing that made me laugh even more is he was watching the game and he said, "Paul Torres isn't the fastest," and I thought, yeah. oh, I, thought he, "I thought he was quite quick." So, thought about looking about. Guess who was the fastest clocked centre-half in the league last year?
1: Paul Torres. <laughs>
0: Paul Torres. He is the fastest centre-half in all of Spain. 35 kilometres an hour he was clocked last year. Yeah. Almost in speed. And Danny Murphy saying, oh, he's not that quick. The quality of punditry between ITV and the BBC has been fucking awful. <laughs> I can't, it's like, it comes up, CoCom's big game, can't wait. And I'm joined by Jermaine Janus, And you think, Fuck me, I'm gonna have to listen to Amsterdam And the comment and the the main guy goes, So Jermaine, what does Bailey need to do in the second half? Then he goes, They need to try harder. I'm like, right. They need to do more on the ball. <sighs> right. Um oh, they need to be more aggressive. Like oh well, Aye, but how the fuck how are they supposed to win this game? Talk gonna break this down game down for me? Tell me what they need to do. Do they need what do they need to do information? Why just try harder and, and be more aggressive? I'm just fucking sick of it. Guys who get paid an awful lot of money to professionally watch and commentate on football just act like they don't watch or care about the game at all. It drives me nuts.
2: You know what I found funny, right? Is um uh, before the tournament they you know, when the pundits line up for out, you know, the usual. Mm. Types of people are going like against Alex Scott. Yeah, he, he was the one making one of the most insightful points. Yeah, the other one, like uh, Emma Hayes, yeah, been was, as
1: well. Yeah. yeah, she was really good.
2: I mean, she, Emma, she, Emma Hayes really has got a fantastic big. Emma Hayes got a fantastic rep in the game, and clearly, clearly knows her shit. Yeah. Um, you know, and you you think, and you know full well the likes of Danny Murphy, have, you know, been probably paid about four or five times more to be tribute for all. Cool. Um, it's,
0: it's diff- I was driving up on the Thursday night to drive to Scotland and I had to listen to the game on TalkSport. The oh, co-commentator God. was Stuart Pearce.
2: Fucking oh, was Oh, God.
0: Jesus oh, Christ. Oh, my
2: God. What in the what in the Brexit was that?
0: Oh, man. It's I know. Fucking know it's, it's it's just so bad. It? It really, and my mates and I were talking about up there about why did ITV not go out and get... Daniel story, or Duncan Alexander, or Michael Fox, yeah. or guys who love the game, talk about it passionately, can actually break the game, or even go break the bank at Gabriel Marcotti or Horncastle. Yeah. Or some of these guys who, yeah, I
2: mean, you look at genuinely basically, like the game, yeah. But he just go to the Athletic and go right, can we just nick half your journalists? Yeah. Again, another another one set. who's ta- another one who's tactically been covering the games really well is Carl uh, Anker, who does yeah, the yeah. Uh, beat stuff for Man United, and yeah. his. He's another one who's got a really sharp mind when it comes to what's going on in a game and why and why are they doing certain things and I think you know I think we've gone beyond um, you know professionals talking about you know passion and desire and all that kind of stuff I think we need people who actually watch all of the football It's a European championship the one thing I found funny right is during the Wales game is they had literally four Welsh people. In the punditry, yes, yeah, <laughs> like, that, what, yeah. What, what? You know, like, as as a as a viewer, if you're not Welsh, you want to see. You know, what about the other team? Like, what are they like? Yeah. What, what about their players? Where do they come from? What sort of football do they play? Like, you want to know a little bit about both. I don't want to hear about fucking Hal Robson-Carne, who, who fucking earned a five-year living over doing one decent Cruyff turn in his whole career.
0: Mm. And, and when I'm watching, when I watch a game of football, what I don't want to hear at halftime is. You need to create more chances. My fucking girlfriend can tell me that. With <laughs> what I want to know is, what do this team need to do tactically to open up that defence yeah. and create more chances and create more space and take advantage of that space and behind the lines? I don't want to hear fucking Lee Dixon go being more aggressive. <laughs> is this, I'm, I, this is a real bit of a rant. It's a real thing. I mean, does this boys' club of Ian Wright, Lee Dixon... Fucking even Roy Keane. I've never yeah. heard him buy those a game. It doesn't say it's mentality. I see that's exactly all I ever say. <laughs> that's that's exactly a special word. Mentality. Like, I, but what else is it, Roy? Come on, fucking. T- it's a bugbear of mine, and I don't I don't know if we'll ever get away from it anytime soon, but there has to be a better quality of punditry. Though.
2: I mean, there and, is, it's just, it just, yeah, just not
1: utilized. Yeah, Emma Hayes, who's
0: in the women's game, is genuinely a world class manager who's won just about everything there is to win who can talk about a game tactic to break it down. And, you know, whether it's her or it's a Michael Cox or anyone else like that who can talk about, they need to move this line up 10 yards, they need to start doing this and this and pulling these guys Mm. of position. That's what I want to hear at half time. not a, they need to be more aggressive. It's just lazy, lazy, Mm. lazy punditry. Um, And although Mika Richards and Roy Keane, it's all a bit of a laugh, but it's just about five minutes of, do a bit more. And then what about that Gazago in 96? That was good, one. not it? I was like, this is just it's boring. This is fucking boring. Anyway, run over. Sorry. Yeah.
1: No, that's fine. It really brings us over to Group F. And I was going to say to you guys, uh, around Jermaine Genus's commentary, you heard for the oh, first instance. Yeah. First instance where uh, Jermaine Genus obviously is commenting on the Hugo Lloris punch. And he says, if that punch happens or that foul happens anywhere on the pitch it's a straight red and I'm just thinking boy yeah, does that like, guy use. <laughs> he's a goalkeeper <laughs> fuck's Jesus
0: sorry to go back to Paddy Murphy there was a, there was a penalty and I can't remember what it was and he literally says that's not a penalty for me he went and he went I know that's the rules but for me it's not a penalty he went well it's it's, it's isn't a fucking, fucking rules. Penalty. I, can't, like, <laughs> I know that's the rules but it's not a penalty well that's the fucking rules of the game but yeah, oh yeah. If, if it's anywhere else in the pitch, yeah. If a centre half flies up and punches a guy in the face, I would expect a red card. But yeah, do you mean keepers are allowed to use their hands? So it's normal for a keeper to have his hands in that position. So, yeah, it's just incredible, <laughs> just incredible. Anyway, group of death.
1: Yes, less group of death. Yeah, group F, and as it finished, and it's not reading right on here, but yeah, France finished top with Germany in second, followed by uh, Portugal in third and Hungary in fourth. Um, So, yeah, great set of games. Um, Let's start off with the Hungary versus Germany match. Andy, thoughts on that particular game? Um, And obviously we did have a question, which was from Sal01 underscore S, asking us about what we made of UEFA's failure to promote equality for that match. Um, We're talking obviously about the fact that they uh, wanted to have the rainbow lights happening outside the Allianz Arena and were turned down um but there's been a lot of kind of stories that led up to this prior to this hasn't there andy
2: yeah i mean i, I guess i'll go into the philippo claire segment of uh, lambasting UEFA uh, or slash fever. it's um it, obviously this month is obviously pride month and um, you know corporations of which UEFA ultimately one do a lot of um posturing and going you know it's all about equality here's a flag and we're doing this we're doing that but when push comes to shove they don't do it so the whole point of having um you know promoting racial equality or promoting you know equality in terms of um, the lgbtq community is to try and change the minds of people who want allies basically um and obviously hungary have just passed a law uh, among other laws they've passed over the years where they're on a they have effectively banned gay people from appearing in um, educational television content for children just Mm -hmm. purely on the basis of their sexuality there's also other things as well is that a um uh, gay people are effectively banned from adopting children because in Hungary, um, only married people, a married yeah. couple, can adopt children, and there's no such thing as gay marriage in Hungary. So therefore, by that extent, they're excluded from that. You know, and we're in 2021. You know, for God's sake, um, and unfortunately, in the shape of Viktor Orbán, uh, they've got a very, very right-wing um, president, um, and Another, you know, lesser known point is that in the Hungry Games in Budapest, uh, they had, like, the black shirts. Yeah. And um, on the face of it, you're like, oh, they're just your normal set of ultras. Um, But they also do have quite a um, underbelly of violence and racism and all of that kind of stuff. And that's just been allowed to fester, um, really. So, yeah, obviously, as a result of that um you know the, the the Munich um I think mayor and obviously organized the Allianz Arena said All right we're, we're going to do light up our stadium in the LGBTQ colors um and UEFA told them no because it became a political statement um, and they released an absolutely pathetic statement on their socials going, you know, we all we're all down for equality. Uh, we just don't want to piss off Victor Orban, our mate, because we've been able to get 60,000 people inside their stadiums. Um it's just, a, it's just absolutely gutless from UEFA mm. is that, you know, they're very, very happy to, um, you know, threaten teams. You know, they've, they've, UEFA's shown uh, bared their teeth when Ronaldo has moved a couple of bottles of Coke <laughs> from a press conference. They've gone right. They've gone hardcore. Right. If any more players start doing that, we're going to start finding you. Um, mm. Yeah. When you really want them to put their energy to, you know, telling people not to be racist, Belens, or you know, get into the 21st century and you know, promote equal rights they they haven't done it they've basically turned around and said you know money money and um not pissing off the right people, not pissing off the wrong people is more important to them um because ultimately you know if victor orban feels that strongly about um lgbtq rights then hungry might will just withdraw from any future tournaments uh if that's how strong they feel about it like You know, I don't think anyone's going to miss them, to be honest. Um, I feel sorry for the Hungarian team to an extent, because obviously Mm. they're just players playing for their country, trying to win a football match. Um, And I guess they're made a bit more unlikable on the basis of what's going on off the pitch, uh, which is out of their control. Mm. I mean, on the pitch, I think they've been a credit to their country. Um, You know, they've really, really uh, tried hard. You know, Salai and um, done really, really well at front and they've done a lot, you know, it, you know, they, I think there was a stat that came out that they've actually been leading for more of the tournament than they were losing. Uh, they've just been really unfortunate to be losing games in the last 10 minutes. Um, against Portugal and obviously against Germany, I mean, that eight minutes that England were going to play Hungary, the knockouts, while well, <laughs> knockout round was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Best eight minutes of my life, that, <laughs> <laughs> well, close second, I suppose, <laughs> but um, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's disappointing what UEFA are doing. But unfortunately, UEFA's priority has always been in the wrong place. I mean, whilst I'm on the front about UEFA, um, is that they, you know, to show you how much they do not care, not only about, um, you know, people in the gay community, people with ethnic minorities, but don't actually care about fans, full stop. Because obviously in England, they literally threatened to take the final away from Wembley. Um, if they didn't let two and a half thousand away for delegates you need one bloke to turn up and give him the fucking trophy you don't need two and a half thousand people to rock up to Wembley from from another country like why? Um, it doesn't make any sense. And you had other countries go, oh, we'll host it. We'll host it. You know, proper mm. ass-licking. Uh, so the, the UK government have obviously caved and gone, fine, we'll let these 2,500 people in without having to go through COVID restrictions. Um, and obviously that's going to draw its own level of criticism because yeah. everybody else has had to abide by these rules. Um, but there's also the flip side of it. I mean, it's not, as much as I'm not a fan of the, the UK government, and how they handle things. If they lost the tournament, if UEFA took that tournament away from Wembley and moved it to, say, Budapest, tens of thousands of England fans, not to mention the money that will bring into London because of, like, yeah. you know, people going to the pubs, visiting the city, that'd have been millions upon millions of pounds lost. Um, mm. As a result of that, and I'm tens of thousands of really unhappy fans. So I think there was a no win in that situation. But it, it does go to show that when it comes down to, you know, money or uh, reputation, you're able look after themselves first before they even give a second thought to any other causes. So, yeah, I think if if I was somebody of like um, an LGBTQ community, obviously I can't speak on behalf of them, but in my own opinion, I would feel let down uh yeah. because they haven't shown the balls to stand up to bigots yeah, and that's- whatever they say afterwards is effectively meaningless because at a real time where they could have taken action they failed to do so um and that's incredibly disappointing um you know whatever you know, that, yeah i think i've obviously gone a bit of a ram myself but <laughs> you know that's uh, my take on it to be perfectly honest
1: and what about this Germany team? What have you made of them? And um, yeah, we've obviously mentioned how we think it's going to progress in terms of knockout stages. But yeah, is there a few players you're a bit wary of?
2: Uh, one player that really, really impressed was uh the uh, left wing back for Germany. I mean, he absolutely ripped Portugal apart. He um, granted um, they had. Nelson Semedo on his side trying to do some form of defending I'm not really sure Whatever what he was, was trying yeah. to do I mean I don't know why how Nathan Semedo gets in that Portugal squad full stop to be honest because <laughs> he was shit for Barcelona he was bang average for Wolverhampton Wanderers uh, apart from being fast he's just not very good uh, but yeah he was just literally everywhere he was pro- mm. you know all his in were deadly I think one thing that Germany done really really well is obviously something they've been working on the training pitch. Is whipping in balls across the six-yard box low and hard. Mm. Uh, there isn't so much finesse in it. It's just a case of they've done it about three or th- you know, three, four, five times in the tournament. And so they've just hit it as hard as they possibly can across the six-yard box and force somebody to commit. Um, and if you do that, um, that's where the own goals are coming from. You know, that's where the tap-ins are coming from. Um, and I think that's where. Teams like England could fall short because, um, you know, they're using the speed they've got um, up front to get. If you steal half a yard and the ball gets flashed across the six yard box, that's typically going to end up in the net. Um, I think stopping the supply line from their wing backs is going to be key to stopping Germany, because I think if you can play through the middle, um and get Mm. at um, hummels and get at sula that's when you get more success i think playing wide isn't necessarily gonna be the best way to get at them because they've got a lot of pace in those areas i think it'll be keep it tight keep it narrow um and try play through them uh because i don't think they've got the speed to be able to combat that effectively that's my sort of tactical take on it i suppose.
1: And Craig, what do you make of the Bayern Munich uh, pairing of Kimmich and Goretzka? Do you think they're going to be someone that England should be a bit more wary of as well?
0: Yeah, definitely. should be. They are are already better than anything England have faced so far this tournament. um, Kimmich, although he's been been relatively quiet, we're all big fans of Joshua Kimmich and what he's done for Bayern Munich. Mm. Uh, And Leon Goretzka, they didn't start the the first couple of games from memory, but just what what a powerful presence he can be. Physical, good pass of the ball. A, a real genuine number eight, box to box midfielder, uh, and, and chips in with goals as well. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm interested. But these two teams have been drawn together because my opinion of them through this tournament is exactly the same. I don't think we've seen the best of either team yet. I think both teams have got a lot more to offer. Um, and I, I, I firmly believe whoever wins this game will get to the final from that half of the group. Mm. I believe that the only other really high-level-ish game, you could say. Um, our teams would be the Netherlands and Croatia, who I believe are still in this bracket. But I, I believe that whoever wins this will have a relatively straightforward route to the final. And So it's, it's a, a massively important game, and it's almost a shame that it's come so close to to the beginning of the tournament in the knockouts. But Kimmich and, and Gretzka are key. Leroy Sani, if he can hit form, Serge Gnabry, you know Kai Havertz, yeah. they've all been relatively quiet throughout the group stages, and then you know, if, they can, if those guys can hit form, then Germany, You know, you know, they'll, they'll realise you never rule out the Germans and that could come true if these guys can really hit form.
1: OK, let's move on quickly to France and Portugal. Played out a magnificent game last night in yeah, a two-all point point. draw. Um, Craig, what's been your thoughts about both Portugal and France? Because it doesn't seem like one is taking the lead right now, but they both offer real penetration when it comes to attacks. Um, there's question marks, obviously, defensively, with both by the sounds of it, are based on that game alone as well. Um, but yeah, where, where do you think is like one of these sides going to really progress? Is it going to be down to how they play their game or is it down to how they attack, really?
0: Uh, for Portugal, it's how they attack. Um, I've watched Portugal twice now. I watched them last night and I watched them against Germany. Um, Portugal going forward, though. Are- you know, one of, if not the best, you know, forward lines in the game. And they touched earlier on about the, the quality they've got, not only to start, but to come off the bench. And the fact that Bruno Fernandes has been a bit of a bit and part player so far speaks to the depth that they have in their squad. But at the back, they are, they've been pretty shocking, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. Pepe looks every every inch, the 38-year-old man that, that he is. Ruben Diaz, I thought has been, been iffy. I thought, I guess, Germany was really, really poor, Ruben Diaz. And then the way that Benzema peeled off him for the second goal last night, set, you know, alarm bells ringing. I thought that was far, far too easy. Portugal, going forward, fantastic, but they will concede goals. And the fact that they're playing Belgium and Lukaku next, you know, that that could be a real test for them. France, I've, I've not been massively impressed with France either. I think France have largely played quite mm. poorly with a couple of intermittent moments of brilliance. Is yeah. how I would explain France. Is I don't think they've, they've played particularly well in any game, but like you saw last night, I mean, that second goal, Pogba's ball over the top ends up peeling off Diaz in the finish. And that's what France can do. They can be really, really quiet for a, a full 45 minutes. And then, you know, you switch off once in the end, the and then you're, you're in trouble. So if I had to put money on it, I, I reckon France will go further. Um, but Portugal, if they can keep scoring goals, you never know. But I'm not be massively impressed with either. But of the two, mm. I think France will probably progress further. Yeah.
1: And Andy, as Paul Pogba, Earned enough to uh, get a move out of Man United now?
2: Um, Probably. I mean, he's always performed. The thing is, though, he's always performed well for France. Um, Paul Pogba, you know, as much as I've criticised him in the Manchester United shirt, he is a very, very talented player. The thing with France is that he's got the freedom. to be able to express himself and play, you know, the Hollywood balls, knowing full well he's got uh, Kante next to him. Mm. Um, And unfortunately, at Manchester United, he doesn't have Fingardo Kante next to him. uh, Because when you watch it for Manchester United, he can't, um, you know, he's not the best in the defensive sense. Um, He's not not the one that tracks back. And I've always thought with Paul Pogba, um that when a team's doing well or they're doing okay he'll be one of your top players but when you if say if you're like you know 2-1 down or you're not having a good game he's not necessarily the one that he drag you out of it Mm. and i've watched Paul bug run off over three or four years to sort of see that from him um but yeah, he's. I think he's always saved his best performances for France. I think maybe, I guess he's speculating at this point because we don't actually know. But I think he enjoys playing for his for France more than he does playing for Manchester United. It's always yeah. the impression like he, he seems to give an extra 10 15 percent. Like he seems to run a little bit faster and uh, be a bit more aggressive and a bit more incisive when he's playing for France compared to when he's playing back in England. Mm. Um, but that's more of an observation. But I think, yeah, I think if he has a good Euros, then I think maybe the opportunity will be there for a club to pitch up the money. Um, mm. but because obviously on a you know, on a sort of a side note, United are in contract negotiations with him because obviously he's just got a year left. But yeah. for what I'm reading, um that he's gonna be want to be make, we're gonna to have to make him the highest paid player in the Premier League. And I guess the logical question is, is Paul Pogba worth being made the highest paid player in the league for? And the answer to that is categorically no. (laughs) I'd rather take 30, 40, 50 million and let him go elsewhere because you know, if we sign him up for another four or five years on like 400 grand a week, to so he's going to be about 32, 33, then United have learned absolutely zero lessons. So I think mm-hmm. from that point of view, I hope he has an absolutely fantastic Euros and gets a move to like a Real Madrid where I felt that he's always really wanted to go uh, mm-hmm. rather than where he's at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think it's always been a little bit complicated with Pogba and Man United. It's always, there's a there's a group of supporters who are absolute poor Pogba diehards. Uh, there's people who are completely against him. I'll say I'm a bit in the middle where I'm sort of like, is he really worth what you're paying him? All right, he has his good moments. But yeah, I think for France, no problem. Um, it's just when he leaves France, mm. it seems to go not too well. <laughs>
1: And I'll just put this out to both of you, just because it's cropped into my head. Is Deschamps got the same issue as Southgate in the sense of he's got a lot of attacking players and he seems to be experimenting still in terms of trying to work out who's the best player to play for each game? Um, I've seen different forwards for both or three games so far, and it doesn't seem like there's a particular liking that he's got. He hasn't really formulated the best attacking lineup. Or is it a case of he's just playing around, dependent on the sides that he's coming up against?
0: Uh, I think champs is probably more settled in his attacking three than Southgate is. I think Griezmann and Mbappé and Benzema are are without doubt the, the three, um, but they both have an embarrassment of riches. I think Southgate's probably more of a problem of. I think what Southgate likes. Um, Rashford, he likes Mount, he likes Sterling, but the problem mm. that he's got is that the English public are absolutely clambering for Grealish and Sancho, so he's got that that problem to contend with. I, I, I'm not close enough to the French press, but I can't imagine there are too many Frenchmen or women who disagree with that front three of Griezmann, Benzema and, and Mbappe, so I think France do have an embarrassment, Rich, he's likewise with England, but I think France are probably a little bit more settled and when you see tinkering from Schomps it is probably a little bit of rotation and, and freshness, whereas I think Southgate with, with even with Sacco trying to just maybe appease a little bit and try and keep some of that mm. away. I think we've not seen Sancho yet. I mean, I, I read a, a ridiculous quote from, from Southgate that says he was playing more experienced <laughs> players ahead of Sancho. Yeah. Like, you clearly, you clearly only get your don't like football him. knowledge. You must get your football knowledge from match today, the then because if you're if you are <laughs> not aware Of what Sancho has done from January to now in the Bundesliga for that Dortmund side, his form, along with Haaland, has literally propelled them from seventh to finishing in the Champions League. Sancho Mm. has had a phenomenal second half of the season. And if you're saying that he's not experienced enough, I mean, what more experience do you want? He's playing against, you know, Leipzig's and Bayern's and Gladbacks every week. He's playing Champions League football regularly. He's got far more experience, I would say, than than a Grealish or a a Saka at this this level. Mm. So, it it, it screams to me of a very narrow-minded England manager where he's he's a bit reluctant to look outside of players that play in England.
2: Because watch him sign for Man United and watch him start every game for England going forward. Mm. You know, watch, uh, obviously, with Sancho, watch him go to Manchester United, which is probably going to happen this summer, and he'll be starting every fucking game for England. (laughs) If he does the same thing for Dortmund as he does for United, he'll start every game.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's bizarre, it's bizarre, and I don't know why Southgate, I mean, they, they, they must have his stats, they must know how many games he's playing, minutes he's playing, um, and the Bundesliga is a really competitive league, I wouldn't say it's his, the, the same quality as the Premier League, but he's got some really good Champions League experience and he's scoring goals and assisting, so to say that he's not an experienced player, maybe not in mm-hmm. this stage, but I like him to the, the Nathan Patterson, if, you, if you're good enough at your, for your club and you're playing big games for your club, surely that must translate onto the international stage without it,
2: but, I think to be honest, he just want a little bit of honesty. Like I don't think there's anything wrong with going, I don't actually fancy this player. I prefer this he's a player backup. over this yeah. player. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, it's nothing you... wrong. It's nothing wrong with saying like, I know what he's doing at club level, but for my, for what I want from my team, I prefer this player because yeah. to, but to make an excuse like he has, I mean, you got Jude Bellingham. He's taken a 17 year old Jude Bellingham who not, let's not forget plays for the same fucking team. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, um, I think it's just a case of Southgate. It's just that he has clearly have his preference he clearly has his preferences as to you know, he has his favourites and he, he has the players that he trusts to do certain things. But I think he'd just be a bit braver and go, these are my choices. You know, I'd respect him a lot more if he just goes, These are the players I prefer for this reason, and this is why everybody's else is on the bench, and I'll yeah. live and die by that decision. Like that's the kind of confidence you want to see from your manager, and if it works, then happy days. Mm. Uh, And if it doesn't, then people have the right to criticise. But you know, uh, he always seems very, very uncertain. And that this goes back to picking thirty people, was it thirty-two people, thirty people for the provisional World Cup squad?
1: squad.
2: Yeah, Yeah, sorry, Euro squad. Yeah nobody else picked an expanded squad but he felt he needed to and you feel like he's kind of you know with the whole alexander arnold thing i think he had absolutely zero intention of taking him but if something tells me he felt pressured to do so uh, just to Mm -hmm. name him in the squad just to keep things down um you know he's a very good talker when it comes to off the pitch stuff like he's he's communicated that kind of stuff really really well i mean he did a post in the uh coaches tribune and it was a really really well composed pro so he is a you know very intelligent very clever manager um but i just think when it comes to the you know making hard decisions i think he could just try and be a bit more assertive you know give Mm. tell fans this is what i'm doing and this is how i'm going to do it and you know i don't care what everybody else's opinion is um yeah, it's, it's odd. And I think, um, you know, what's going to happen if more English players start moving abroad? Like, there's going to come a point he's actually going to have to put his finger out and start going to actual games outside of England. <laughs> <laughs> right, before
1: we go into our Euros knockout quiz, one final question from our listener, United Vision, asking us, who's our favourite player so far in the Euros? So, start off with yourself, Craig, who's impressed you the most so far?
0: Uh, ooh, good question. Uh, for me, I would say Manuel Locatelli from mm. from Italy. Uh, I thought if he played the first two games and was rested in the last game. But the game, the two games that I did watch him play, I thought he was excellent. Um, against Turkey and against um, Switzerland, he, he was phenomenal. And when you look at an Italy squad and you look at the players they've got and you see a player from Sassuolo. There's always that, can they can they really go up and, and really perform in that national stage? And I thought he was superb in both of those games, yeah. not only for his goals, but for his overall contribution. Um, it was, was rumoured to join Juventus before this tournament yeah. for €40 million. Euros. I think they probably had add a couple of million on top of that now based on what he's done. Yeah. And he's 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 caught the eyes of, of some big clubs in Europe. So for me, Manuel Locatelli, I think he's been superb so far.
1: And Andy, yourself?
2: Uh, yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, like I tell you as well, I was going to say, mm. if I was to go for another choice, I would say uh, Ronaldo. I know it seems in some sense is obvious, but I don't think people mm. can understand how some people don't understand. How, you know, he's thirty-six years old, <laughs> and um, to go from a breakaway goal, you know, against Germany, from going from your own penalty box to sprint all the way back down. Uh, to be the perfect position to get a tap in, you don't see (laughs) 36-year-old doing that. (laughs) He is a super... He plays every single minute of every single game and he's a superhuman individual. Like, he's banged another five goals um, to Mm. become the outright Euro top scorer. And he's... Yeah, he's he's an absolute phenomenon. He's like, Mm. you know... He is somebody who could play to his 40 if he could be asked yes, and still bang definitely. in 20 30 goals a season. Um, you know, also despite all the talent that Portugal have now got, they're still reliant on him to be the cutting edge, and he will be. Mm. You know, let's be honest like if you give him chances in the knockout stages, he will put them away. Um, yeah. he's still, you know, it's, he, it's amazing to see how he's evolved his game over the years. Cause normally with mm. pacey wingers, they're burnt out by the time they're 30 and, they're, you know, Theo yeah. Walcott, uh, Aaron Lennon, you know, all sorts you can name that have burnt mm. out at a young age. And yet for, to be able to change his game and strip it back to become what he is now at his age is incredible.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it would have been a full sweep because I was going to say Locatelli, but yeah, just to go for someone different, Lukaku, I think his form has been phenomenal, bringing it from Inter to the Belgium squad. He's going to be really key going into these knockouts as well, because I think it's down to someone getting a chance to him to really like help belgium progress so let's move on to the euros knockout quiz so last week viewers and listeners you were treated to a special edition here in terms of the hopeless wonder podcast where we had andy take on rory and rory won that knockout quiz but this time andy has got the turns or reins of being the quiz master And it'll be between myself and Craig to test our Euros knowledge. So just for the rules, it is a five question knockout. And after that, if it is level, it'll go into sudden death in terms of questions. And if after 10, we are still level, we'll go through a question where we have to guess to the nearest number. So we'll pass over to Andy to decide who will go first and to ask the question so andy over to you mate
2: cool i'll start off with uh, yourself craig um so prior to
1: 1968
2: the (laughs) 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 the uefa european football championship was originally known as what
0: past me. Absolutely no idea. Okay. <laughs> cool. Uh,
2: <laughs> You've got to tell me, though.
0: What, 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 what <laughs> it, was called,
2: it was originally called the European Nations Cup. Fuck yeah, okay. okay, fair enough. <laughs> Adam, in 2008, Poland made a long-awaited debut in the Euros. Mm. Which striker scored nine goals in the qualifications campaign? Uh, was it Ebi Smolarek yes a point to you how come, how
1: come I got a question
0: <laughs> he gets a post question from
2: 12 years ago there's five questions shut up <laughs> <laughs> you're going to hate this next one oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry in 1964 <laughs> what match was decided by a coin toss? It's the only match that's ever been decided by a coin toss.
0: Was it the final?
2: It was a semi-final.
0: Italy versus.
2: Yep. West Germany. No. Oh. Was it USS as far Yes.
0: Ah. Okay. Hmm. Half right. Well.
2: Right. Still get zero points. Yeah, I
0: yeah,
2: know. Oh. <laughs> um, okay. Who scored the winning goal? <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. That's my next question. <laughs> okay. Um, Who scored the winning goal for Greece in the 2004 final against Portugal? Oh. <sighs> yep. We forget that Greece one happened. I think everyone forgets that tournament happened, but it did. I don't think
1: it's right, but I'll go Trenos Delas.
2: No, it was um Angelos Karasteas. That's it. Yeah.
0: He played Germany at the time.
2: I think he was playing Holland for Ajax. I can't remember.
0: I thought he was like Werder Bremen or something. Anyway.
2: I have never seen yeah. I can't remember. Um okay, number three, Craig. In nineteen thirty, kidding. uh <laughs> <laughs> In Euro 1992, the former Soviet Union competed under what name? Bearing in mind they'd been sort of broken up because obvious reasons at that time.
0: Was was it the... Because Yugoslavia was like the federation of Something's up. I'm yeah. going to say Federation of Soviet yeah, pass no idea.
2: it was um, CIS which was basically the Commonwealth of Independent States oh, right. uh, it's the first go. and yeah. only tournament that they have okay um, which German player has played the most European championship matches
1: Championship manager. Uh, uh, let's have a think. I'll go for it. I don't think I'm right in this thinking, but Philip Lam.
2: No. no. Oliver can. Oliver can. Nope. Bastian Schweinsteiger. Yeah. Yeah. It surprised me, to be fair.
1: Mm. Still tight this game.
2: So, this is my fourth. Four <laughs> fourth, yeah. Okay. Oh, believe, believe it or not, Scotland have qualified for the Euros on two occasions <laughs> prior to this edition. What year was the first? Oh, God. 88? No, it was 1992. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I gave you a Scottish one you still got it wrong <laughs> okay uh, two seconds I've he's
1: had a googling a... the question now isn't no he? I've had a program <laughs> he's, only, he's only done four <laughs> questions
2: he's only done four okay. <laughs> <laughs> no 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 right okay which you didn't player? think it would
1: go this far Craig
2: <laughs> <laughs> Adam yeah. which player uh which player has the most recorded, the most assists in European Championship history since stats were recorded? So for the benefit, it would be obviously in the past or 25 years. I have heard this one,
1: and it is, I think, Karol Paborski.
2: Yes. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, generally. Um, he's recorded yeah. eight assists, uh, probably majority of which through... Um, 1996 for more than like Fergie yeah.
1: to buy him didn't it
2: yeah it's well that chip he did uh convince fergie to buy him he didn't do too much other than that <laughs> but uh hey there we go um cool craig question number five for you before michelle Bettini became a corrupt nonce he was a fine footballer back in the day in which tournament did he score all of his nine european goals So just to clarify he scored all of his goals in just the one tournament. 84. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. Do I get 9 points because he scored 9 goals? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what two teams were involved in the highest scoring game? Uh, the winning team won 6-1. Who were the two teams involved in that game?
1: Netherlands and Yugoslavia.
2: Yes, I do remember <laughs> oh, that, that game. I do
1: remember it because Sava Milosevic scored the only goal for Yugoslavia, and I think I want to say Clive scored a hat trick, something like that. But yeah, I remember that go. game quite a lot. But yeah, oh, well, there is, oh. well, yeah, I think I was a bit fortunate because cons- compared to your opening round of questions, but yeah, no, <laughs> uh, yeah. Grateful uh, to win that. So, uh, thank you very much, Andy, for that easy run. I'll give you the paper envelope uh, at some point. Um, but yeah. No- <laughs> we need get
0: Rory back on for a final. We
2: need to get Rory back on.
1: It does mean oh, that we're going to have to oh, find shit. two guests now to right, uh, kind of compete now.
2: Does, does that mean Craig is going to do the next one? Well, yes. Yeah. To <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Before records okay. began.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shit i'll get you i've just realized this <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh dear so uh listener we will move into the knockouts that are going to be taking place on saturday and i'll just go through the fixtures because i'm mindful of time so uh yes on saturday we will see wales versus denmark and italy versus austria On Sunday, we will see the Netherlands take on the Czech Republic and Belgium versus Portugal. Monday, we'll see Croatia versus Spain and France versus Switzerland. And then on Tuesday, we have England versus Germany and Sweden versus Ukraine. So just get some quick thoughts from you guys uh, from those round of matches. Who are we fancying to progress out of the uh, knockouts?
0: So I'm just looking at, I've written them down myself. So I think... Wales will beat Denmark. Uh, Italy, I'm going to take Netherlands. I'm going to take Belgium. I'm going to take Spain, France.
1: He doesn't want to say England, does he?
0: I think Germany are going to win on penalties and then I'll take Sweden to beat Ukraine. I think Germany are going mm. to getting on penalties again. It's just yeah. it's got that all over it. What about yourself, Andy? Who have you got? Who's your final eight?
2: So I've got um, Wales holland um england sweden that's a tentative Mm. one um spain france italy and portugal
1: Portugal. okay and i will go for denmark italy netherlands i'll go for belgium i fancy croatia france i will go for england and sweden So, yeah, I fancy that. I just think Croatia might be one of those that will have enough quality against Spain. England, I just think on the day, if they can turn up, they could be good enough. But I think Sweden are going to be the ones that everyone has to look out for, because I think they can defend really well. It's evident. And Lindelof, for you, uh, Andy... He's been magnificent, hasn't
2: he? I mean, if he could bring that back to Manchester, I'd be eternally grateful. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, it's... um, But I guess the mitigating fact he would say is that Sweden haven't, you know, obviously apart from the game against Spain, haven't come across like elite attackers. Mm. Um, Maybe that's probably a mitigating factor on that front. But yeah, to be fair, it looks decent
1: no very good right that brings us to the end of the show so uh thank you to those watching i know there's been quite a fair few of you so i've just seen it the comments fix yeah i think that was related to the quiz but yeah (laughs) um but yeah no absolutely Grateful to have you guys watching and those that are listening to us right now. I hope you're enjoying it Uh, Make sure you do subscribe to our social media channels So at the hopeless wonder podcast on our Instagram account as well as on our Twitter account, which is at hopeless pods so as ever thank you to Andy and welcoming back Craig so Thank you again for turning up. Hope you both have a great weekend and listener, I hope you do too. Um, But for now, thank you very much. Enjoy the weekend's football. Stay safe and we'll see you again next week. Take care.